We're doing a four-week series on Ruth, and last week we walked through chapter one. Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and two sons were living in Bethlehem during a time of famine, a time of testing. Elimelech loaded up his family and moved his family away from God's people to Moab, a land of idolatry, hoping for better times. While in Moab, Elimelech died. Their two sons married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth, and then the sons died. This is my dad. Oh, by the way, no animals were harmed in the taking of that picture. <laughs> my brother and I have very good memories of many times as kids spent hunting in the Arizona desert. One of the things that I remember clearly is, as we headed off down desert gulches for cottontail and quail, Dad would stop, and he would look at me and ask, Hey, Doug, where's the truck? Which way do we go to get back to the truck to take us home? He was training me to always know how to get home. Things change in the going and the coming, and he wanted me, should something happen to him, to be able to make it back home. I think Naomi, in those 10 years in Moab, always knew where home was. I think perhaps often she even envisioned the walk back to where she had come from. And, knowing, and Naomi hears talk that God is providing for his people back home. It's time to head back to the truck. It's time to go home. So she begins to head back to Bethlehem. Her daughters-in-law start back with her, but Orpah, through tears, turns back to Moab, while Ruth clings to Naomi and leaves all she knows to follow, to follow Naomi, become one of her people, and commits to serve the God of Israel. They entered Bethlehem just at the beginning of the barley harvest. You know, I have to tell you, that due to the fact that you want to all get home for dinner tonight, I am not sharing all the pictures that God was painting of Christ in this book. Rudy, our resident Jewish scholar, called me this week to tell me the significance of this point in the story. You can look this up later, but in Leviticus 23, we learned that it was the day after the Sabbath that the barley harvest began. The day after Sabbath. Resurrection Day, Sunday. It's just another stroke of God's paintbrush. Let's pick up the story in chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Naomi had a relative, a kinsman. The word here is not a kinsman redeemer, but just a relative. The narrator is kind of leading us. Verse 1 is just kind of giving us some background. Later on, Boaz will be revealed as one of the kinsmen redeemers, but he's telling a story, and he doesn't want to let the cat out of the bag at the beginning. Boaz is described as a worthy man, a man of standing. The word actually means wealth, riches, prominence, a warrior, and mighty. This also speaks to his character because the same word will be later used in Ruth 3.11 and is translated in her case, 
a woman of excellence. If this was England, Boaz would be a knight in shining armor. And he is a relative. If we were talking about him today, we would call him extended family. Does anybody remember who Boaz's mother is? Yeah. Matthew 1.5 tells that his mom is a Gentile prostitute named Rahab. Rahab had a past. The Bible doesn't go into detail, but in her occupation, I am sure there were lots of scars, lots of tears, lots of guilt. But her past did not define her. And ours does not need to define us. God can change our family tree if we respond to his call. And he did for Rahab. How did Rahab, who was a Gentile, become part of the family of God in the Old Testament? The same way we become part of God's family. By faith, like Ruth, she walked away from her past and began her faith walk. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. Gleaning. So how did that work? The practice was laid out in Leviticus 19. It was kind of God's plan for taking care of the needy. If you were harvesting and grain fell on the ground or was missed, those in the community who were needy were allowed to follow and to pick it up. Also, God instructed the landowners not to harvest the corners. In business, we're always told to not cut corners. Use everything. Don't miss anything. But God's ways are not business ways, they are kingdom ways. And God says, cut the corners, leave a little extra, release your grip on what you have. I hunt pheasant over in Pullman and we're often in fields where the combine has missed a section or in a corner it couldn't quite make the turn. And in those corners will be stalks with heavy heads of wheat. If you were a farmer, God said, You had to leave the corners. You had to leave the corners. This was type of a situation that Ruth was going to be working in. And God's system was a great system for helping those in need. It both allowed and required the person to work for what they got. A person's self-esteem was preserved. And it limited the tendency for people to get lazy. It's interesting that Ruth did not say to Naomi... Let's pray and wait for God to send someone to help us. We're here now and we really don't have any resources, so let's pray until God shows us what to do. Sometimes we sit and we wait for God to solve our problem. Many times God's will is simply for us to do the next thing. What is he placed right in front of us? I am in need. I need to look for an opportunity to work. God tends to lead us when we are moving with faith that he will direct us. Ruth could have been tempted to say, I followed Naomi, but where did it get me? I left everything, and here I toil in a field picking wheat. Where's God in this? 
Some of you may be toiling in your wheat field. Just day to day, same old, same old, thinking that somehow your circumstances cannot be part of God's plan. I would challenge you to do as Ruth did. Be faithful where God has placed you. And if your circumstances feel kind of trashy, bloom where you are planted. The barley field was the very arena in which God was going to lay out an amazing plan for Ruth. We've just looked at the gleaning situation from one who is poor, Ruth's standpoint. Let's take a second and look at it from Boaz's eyes, one who is wealthy, and see if we can apply that to us. Who bought the field? Who tilled the field? Who paid the laborers to weed and plant the field? Boaz. And yet God says that he is just a steward. He can't keep it all. God has given him his wealth, his field, his crops to manage so that through him, God can feed priests, supply the temple, and feed the poor. How would this apply to us today? Have a house or an apartment? It's to share. We get a bonus, perhaps a corner of it is to help one who is needy. All of our possessions are not our possessions, but are the Lord's. Jesus became poor so we could become rich. We need to make sure that we don't hoard our emotional, our spiritual, and our financial wealth. Giving is worship. And then we read the phrase, and she... Oops, it's happening. And we read the phrase, and she happened, or lucky Ruth. The author is playing with us a little. The comment is a little tongue-in-cheek. Was happening in Boaz's field a coincidence? No, but Ruth didn't know ahead of time that she would be working in Boaz's portion of the field. She just went to a field. What is happening? Proverbs 16.33, you paraphrase that and it says, man rolls the dice, but God causes the dots to come up. Ruth was faithful in little things. She had a need. She knew that among God's people, gleaning was a way to work and to get food. So she was faithful in the little things of going to work and caring for her mother-in-law. And in her faithful actions, God directed her to the exact place he wanted her. If you and I are faithful in the small things, the today things, usually God, through his spirit, asks us to take steps. Not leaps, steps. And God will cause the big things, the tomorrow things, to work out according to his will. Ruth didn't have to understand the big plan. She focused on, obeyed in what she needed to do now. She showed kindness. She loved those in her life. She wasn't lazy and she did the small stuff. God, as she moved in obedience, was directing her steps 
and placing his pieces of his plan in place. And sometimes we can get paralyzed by the big picture. I remember at time at work during the Gulf War when I had spent half the night watching the news, listening to the radio as they were reporting Scud missiles dropping on Israel. The next morning at work, I was a basket case. I was the boss, and I was running around telling everyone, this is it. This is the end. I had responsibilities that I should have been focused on, but instead I was worried and explained how the end of the world was on its way. I was a real sight to see. One of the workers came to me and said, Doug, you're always saying that you trust Jesus and he's your hope. These guys that work for you, they don't know Jesus. And they tend to look at you as someone who says that you do love Jesus. You are representing him, and right now to them, God looks pretty panicked. (laughs) God wanted me to be loving those around me. He wanted my eyes and ears focused on him. And those around me that he wanted to touch, he didn't want me glued to the news station. He wanted me to reflect his calm presence in the storm. What did Jesus do when he was in a storm? He rested, trusting his Father. We don't have to know the exact details of the future, both in our lives and in this world. God has revealed in his word the world, that world events will be orchestrated by him, and certain things will precede his coming. But if in trying to understand the details of the big picture, how it all works out, If that creates in us anxiety, if that creates worry and fear, and I spend hours glued to the news, both you and I will be incapable of reflecting the Jesus this world so needs to see. Worry or anxiety about tomorrow or the big picture is never part of God's plan. Remember the song, I don't know about the future, but I know who holds my hand? That's pretty good theology. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Boaz shows us what a good boss is like. Boaz brought his Lord into his daily life and his work. It seems like he cared, and they knew it. I think Pastor Lance said it a couple weeks ago. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Have you ever had someone that looked right past you as if you weren't there? In contrast, as we continue this story, we will find that Boaz is very aware of his workers. We need to be sensitive to the people that are involved in our life. I remember we went through Dairy Queen one time. Denise noted something about the clerk at the window. She saw weariness in her eyes. Me? I just noticed the ice cream in her hand. (laughs) But Denny asked her a question and spent just a minute talking to her and listened and showed she cared. As we are in the community here in Squim, we're working in a harvest field. And God wants us to have eyes that look people in the eye, really see them, 
ears that listen, and a heart that is sensitive. We are God's hands and feet. He wants to touch this world. He wants to touch Squim through you and I. I need to remind myself to engage the person serving me, taking my card for gas, speak to the person walking the dog in my neighborhood. It may be a divine encounter planned by God before I was born. Then Boaz says to his young men who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Ruth didn't fit in. She was a foreigner. Why would Boaz maybe have a soft spot in his heart for a Gentile? His mom was a Gentile. Wow, what a coincidence. The word for young woman used here is a word used for marryable but unmarried girl. Ruth was probably a young woman. And it seems that she definitely caught Boaz's eye. And from this point on, Boaz seems to focus more on young Ruth than he does on the harvest. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Ruth is, has a great work ethic. She's a hard worker who had a goal, asked for an opportunity, and then worked for it. She was both polite and respectful in her request to go and glean. And here she doesn't demand her rights, but politely requests the opportunity. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz is the initiator here. He's the perfect picture of Christ. Last week, I mentioned some instances of God painting a picture of Christ in the Old Testament, kind of like a movie trailer to let you know what was coming. As we continue in Ruth, I want to make sure that you get it. When Jesus said in John 5 that the Old Testament spoke of him, one of the best examples is what we are reading and will be reading in Ruth. Boaz is a picture of Christ. His actions are giving a sneak preview of what Christ will do to redeem us. And here, Boaz is illustrating God, seeking us out as the initiator pursuing us. He calls her my daughter. He's saying, I will treat you like my family, like one of my own. This is a term of endearment and also hints at her being young. So what is Boaz saying between the lines here? <laughs> this is romance. We are reading a love story. As a man, Boaz loves her, and he is pursuing her. He's providing for her and protecting her. In application, as those who are rich in Christ, we are called to do the same. We are not to think self. We are to think others. Boaz tells her not to look to other fields, but to stay in, the, in his. 
Can you think of any application to take from that? Christ says to fix our eyes on him. He asks us to remain, to abide, to stay close. It's the second thing we teach our dog. First, we ask him to come. Then we ask him to stay. In those days, grain fields were dangerous places for women. Deuteronomy 22 talks of the danger in the fields. And the fact that should a woman be attacked in a grain field, the man should die and nothing should be done to the woman. If that had happened in other places, the situation would be to sort things out so they knew for sure what happened. But in a grain field, it was considered a very risky place. Ruth was vulnerable. Her safety would remind her, her safety would lie by her remaining in Boaz's field. When you and I step out of our safety in Christ, we too are vulnerable. Many a life has been destroyed by wandering across the property line and onto Satan's turf. I've often been in a care center when I've heard an alarm. It's not a fire, no one's broken in, but someone who is vulnerable has just walked outside the safety of their room and is at risk. God has placed his spirit within us and its alarm will sound when we start to wander. The newsboys put it in a song. It's an early warning sign that keeps my life in line, but it's hard to define, never mind. It's a spirit thing. It's just a holy nudge. It's like a circuit judge in the brain. It's just a spirit thing. It's here to guard my heart. It's just a little hard to explain. So when you are about to speak, about to take steps, about to move the mouse on your computer or the remote on your TV, and an alarm goes off in your mind, stop. It's God's spirit. He's saying, stay here. Don't go there. Take heed lest you fall. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Wow. That's some response. The word bound down means to prostrate yourself, lower yourself, humble yourself. It's the same word that is used to describe Abraham's response to the three visitors that came to his camp. It implies adoration the way you would treat royalty. Ruth is responding to amazing grace. As we will see increasingly, Boaz is the picture of Christ. Has Christ pursued us, provided for us, and offered his protection? Yeah. What should our response be? I think the same as Ruth showed Boaz. Worship. Adoration. I think Ruth was a little surprised by what was going on. She asked, why me? I'm a foreigner. I'm unworthy of what you are offering to me. Boaz knew that she was a Moabitess, but she doesn't know he knows. She may be saying, hang on a minute. You may be thinking I am someone I'm not. Are you sure you got the right girl? 
Do we deserve God's gift of grace to us? No. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's futile to try to clean up our lifestyle so that we can come to Christ. Come to him. He'll work through you to do the cleaning. Ruth didn't try to change her appearance. She just went to her knees in humility and bowed her heart to the man who offered her so much. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people you did not know before. Boaz answered, but the word actually means he raised his voice. Why do you think Boaz wanted others to hear what he was saying? He wanted everyone to know what he thought about Ruth. And that he was not ashamed of the fact that she was a foreigner. God here is painting a picture how Jesus will one day speak up for us before his father. Matthew 10 says, whoever acknowledges before others, I will always raise my voice and acknowledge before my father in heaven. Boaz has heard about Ruth. As I was preparing this, I came across quite a few paintings of Ruth. There, there are even some videos of this story. And in all of them, Ruth was quite a looker. Is Boaz talking here about her physical beauty? There's nothing in the book of Ruth or anywhere else in the Bible that mentions her physical beauty. Boaz had heard about the beauty of her character. Does physical beauty fade? Look to your right and left. <laughs> For some of it, it's happening very fast. But character endures. Reputation stays with you. If you grow in character, you become more beautiful as time goes on. Character counts. Character is what we should focus on. I struggled with acne as a teen. It was embarrassing. Often before I would go out to be with friends, I'd take a trip to the mirror with my little tube of tinted Clearasil, boy makeup to try and make it less visible. It would be well and good for all of us to take a look in the character mirror. Am I a man or a woman of my word? Do I have integrity? Are my motives pure? Am I dependable? Am I on time? Can I be trusted? Do I guard my words? Am I kind? God's word is a very high definition mirror. And it does a great job of revealing attitudes and sin in our lives. And this, the father has offered his son as a remedy for those. Boaz says a prayer for Ruth. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz uses the phrase under his wings to describe something in the animal kingdom that shows something 
the reality of something in the kingdom of God. We are safe when we abide and remain. God is bigger and wiser than us, and he knows the dangers. As a mother hen calls to her chicks and is desiring to protect them, so our heavenly father desires to protect us. He's hurt when we run out from under his protection. Watch a a mother hen with a brood of chicks. Mama hen is pretty quiet and calm when they're safely under her wings. But when one wanders, everything changes. She raises her voice and calls loudly. She scans the sky knowing a hawk could sweep down at any moment. The loud clucks are a cry, a plea to come back. You are not safe. Let me protect you. Has God been crying out to you for you to return to him? From reading Boaz's prayer, what is it telling us about Boaz, that Boaz knows about God? When we bless others, God will bless us. Larry Buquette had a saying that he used in regard to money, but it really pertains to much more. He says, you cannot demand that God reward you, but you can expect it. Boaz knew that. He knew that his prayer that Ruth be rewarded for the kindness she had shown Naomi was in line with the heart of his God. Thinking back to what Ruth was thinking when she said, I will go where you go, do you fully think, or do you think that she fully understand that she was coming under God's wings of protection? I don't think so. I think she was just trying to take care of and show love to her mother-in-law. But Boaz says, may you see how faithful God is. And to show you how faithful he is, let me give you a taste of it. Boaz, as he was praying, became part of the answer. Often while we are praying, God will prompt us to do something in regards to what we're praying about. We need to make sure that our definition of prayer is not just speaking, but listening. God, through his spirit, is talking to us. I'm sure everyone here is wanting to see the movement of God, the presence of God, actively moving in our lives and in this body. We need to be praying, and we need to be listening. He will prompt us to move how he wants us to move but it will begin with prayer. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel into the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Oh, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So Boaz gives her some dinner, some drink. She's getting a royal treatment, and all his crew is seeing Boaz take care of the one he noticed. I would love to have been in Ruth's head and seen her thoughts as she walked down the grain rows following a crew that had been previously very efficient. Suddenly getting slippery fingers 
and dropping the precious grain they have cut. Recently, Denny and I have had some instances of God providing for us. A check comes in the mail. We get a tax refund we didn't expect. I find an awesome garage sale that I can sell on eBay. Sometimes our tendency can be to see the gift and not realize that it has come from the owner of the field. It's our Heavenly Father taking care of us. Sometimes we can see a direct line of provision, as Ruth did when he fed her dinner. Oftentimes, though, it's through God's people, directed and prompted through his spirit, like Boaz did to his workers. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law says what she had gleaned. Her, her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So Ruth came home. She carried the grain back to town, and this would be a sight. It was an ephah. That's about four gallons. So here comes this little gal after a day in the fields, and she's walking up the path to where they're staring, staying, lugging a mostly full five-gallon bucket. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said the man's name with whom I worked today was Boaz. That's like taking one of my grandkids to 101 Diner and giving him a quarter and he comes back with pockets, hats, arms full of gumballs. <laughs> we read Naomi's question in black and white, but if it was an audio recording, it would probably sound more like, woo-hoo, and what combine did you sit on the back of? Blessings on that knight who rode up to you on his white horse. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. He's one of our redeemers. Ruth told Naomi about her day and the man who had noticed her. This real life stuff. I'm sure there were some giggles, kind of like a mom and daughter sitting on the edge of a bed after first date. Mom, you won't believe what he did for me. How do you think Naomi, or how do you think Mara, bitter, is feeling right now? I think she's seeing a sliver of hope. Boaz, Naomi knows of Boaz. She says he's a kinsman redeemer, a family redeemer. The image and the idea of a redeemer is a key topic in the Old Testament. A redeemer speaks to several situations. Anything that is broken can be fixed and should be fixed. Anything that can be restored should be restored and returned to wholeness. So in Israel, if you lost your land to bad times, a family member could step in and purchase the land and buy it back for you. If you were sold into slavery, you could be bought out of slavery, redeemed. If a family member was killed, a relative could pursue justice and make things right. In marriage, if a woman's husband dies, his brother can step in and redeem her, restore her, give her children and a family, 
And if no brother, then another from the family could step in to redeem. A redeemer makes life better for the one who is redeemed. He fixes. He makes right. He buys back. A redeemer restores what is lost. But how does it go for the one who redeems? In a way, a real way, while making life better for another, the redeemer's life gets worse. There's sacrifice. There's cost. Later on in this book, we'll see that. There will be an opportunity to redeem Ruth. And the man with the opportunity will pass. He says, I can't. Costs too much. We used to sing a song in church, There is a Redeemer. Was that talking about Boaz? No, the song's about Jesus. And for Jesus to make our life better, his had to get drastically worse. The cost was huge. Isaiah says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon his chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Verse 21. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Naomi sees hope. There is light breaking into her darkness. It's easy when in circumstances, when everything is going bad, to lose hope. Some of you may be in that position right now. God has provided for Naomi and Ruth into the end of the summer. Few months have been taken care of. I in my life tend to miss the slivers of hope. I tend to even when there's a bright spot but starting to show, I grumble. God was at work here. Redeeming was starting to occur. In all of Ruth's effort, we cannot separate God's sovereignty. In the area of sovereignty, we can be at extremes. On one end, God is sovereign. Man has no responsibility. We do nothing. On the other end is the attitude that if I don't get something done, nothing will happen. And both extremes are terribly wrong. In this story, though, we see the tension. That's how it's supposed to be. We need to be faithful about what we are to do, and we need to trust that God is in control. This is really about the cross. Ruth's path to refuge began when she said, I'll go where you go. My old identity is dead. Leaving family, culture, and friends, she took a step of faith. The cross in our life is no different. We are told to take up our cross daily. The road to refuge in your and my life requires faith, requires giving up control, requires leaving what we know and taking steps. And we discover 
that the one who began the work in us will complete it. And God was in control, lovingly orchestrating and directing circumstances in Ruth's life. He was working from the time Ruth just happened to arrive in Bethlehem. And by chance, it turned out to be the beginning of the barley harvest, when by a stroke of luck, she picked a field and surprise, surprised. In the next two weeks, we will discover that she was noticed by the one who had the resource, the position, and the desire to restore her, redeem her, give her riches in place of her poverty, and love her. A perfect picture painted by the Father of Jesus, the Christ who redeems us.